Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. everyone and welcome to our limited edition podcast for Decoded Pride Issue 2. We are super pumped to have you with us and today we're speaking with a small round table of creators about their creative process, why queer speculative fiction matters so much, and where you can pick up our amazing new anthology. Spoiler, it's at decodedpride.com. I'm Essie Flinor. I'm one of the hosts of this podcast and also one of the editors of Decoded Pride. I am here with my incredible colleagues, Sarah Sentry and Monica Estrella Negra. How y'all doing? Hello. I am well. (laughs) (laughs) And today we're just going to talk a little bit about what is Decoded Pride, why we started it, what this issue has going on that's so special. And then what's really cool is not only are all three of us the co-editors of issue two, but we also all have stories appearing in this issue. So I have questions for each of you about your stories. So brace yourselves. And uh, yeah, this is this is a really cool little thing we're doing. It's only about six episodes. We were talking with creators from Decoded Pride issue two, decodedpride.com. You probably went there to listen to this, but if you didn't go there right now and buy a subscription, only $14.99 for 30 queer stories by queer creators. It's very cool. I'm sorry. It's just very, very cool. But the podcast is really just us talking about what we're doing and, and why queer speculative fiction matters. So thanks for joining us today. Okay, Sarah, so why don't you tell us a little bit, tell us the title of your uh, story, and then if you want to tell us a quick moment about it. Yes. Yeah, so I wrote a story that's called Slipping But Not Falling for this collection, and I wrote it because it, I wanted to do something longer than I did last year. And I'm trying to do longer pieces. And I would say that it is about a woman who is going to a place but isn't there yet. And uh, that's it. Monica? My story is called The Beacon of Influencership. And I wanted to uh, submit something to decode it last year, but I couldn't because of life. But this particular story is about the ills of social capital, social media in our interpersonal relationships, but with the queer take on it, because it's actually a, a modern sort of cask of Amontillado by Zaddy Poe. So, <laughs> yes, I called him Zaddy Poe. I'm just like. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my short story. 
Amazing. And and I'm Essie Flinor. Like I said, hi, welcome. We're the editors. My story is called Anomalous. It is a sci-fi story about uh, two people who meet in very unlikely circumstances and the way that people are treated like we're not real if we have uteruses. So it's it's um it's got some dark moments and some light moments. I call it sci-fi body horror with jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with yeah. jokes. With jokes. <laughs> There's some pretty good jokes in it. I will say that. It's true. <laughs> they really came out in draft three, I gotta say. Amazing. So I'm I'm super pumped. You know, this is our second time doing Decoded Pride, the anthology. This is our first time doing a podcast and we talked a little bit, each of us, we have interviews on our site that are called Meet the Editors. We've talked about why we care about speculative fiction, what kind of stories draw us in. But now I want to talk about Decoded Pride issue two, because we did those interviews before we'd chosen all of our submissions. So now it's like, oh, wow, what do we think now? So I would love to hear from both of you, you know, what is it about, you know, speculative fiction that allows us to tell queer stories? And how are you seeing that in Decoded Pride issue two? I think that speculative fiction is probably the best for me specifically because it helps me exist in another world that I know is completely possible in regards to proper representation, the protagonist as being somebody that I identify with. It's just like, it's like a, a place to to step outside of the world because I feel like a lot of queer and trans folks have to, you know, have this mode of escapism um, when it comes to the things that we have to face in, in everyday life. So I think it's like a proper escape. And especially if you are the one helming the story, like all the power is there to you. I think that like, I don't know, genre has always been queer, right? All of these themes have a lot of queerness to them of sci-fi and fantasy and horror, all of those genres have always at least had some kind of inherently queer qualities to them. So the fact that for so long it would be like subtext or something along those lines, it still existed. And it's, you know, we knew what they meant. That's like how it always is, right? Like a 100 years ago, 200 years ago, people knew that there was that fiction was drawing comparison between like gay people and vampires, <laughs> which is, you know, offensive in many ways. But it also is just kind of the code of what we expect. And so I don't know, I think that it's nice now because I feel like people are actually just starting to get to tell their own stories more as opposed to before whenever it would be people telling stories that utilized parts of our communities but didn't necessarily focus our voices whatsoever, right? I think that it's just kind of always been there and obviously decoded because I get to be one of the people in charge of choosing the stories. Um, helps me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I think that's, it's it's how we came up with decoded is we wanted to say wow so often the queerness the transness in stories is is coded and and like sarah you were saying historically has been written by people who are not parts of our community and so what does it mean to say you know sure play with coding but let's also say like let's decode you don't have to be coded queer you can just be a pansexual werewolf you know like that's allowed you could just be the you can be an actual gay vampire like that's cool that's great go for it you know and i 
that's what I it actually, I'm referring to two different uh, stories in Decoded when I right. say that. There is the pansexual, at least I read them to be pansexual. They're not labeled on the page, werewolf. And then there's also the the, the gay vampire who's like so cool and interesting. And I, I think that there's this way that we can grapple with how the world treats us through the grotesque, through the macabre, through playing with our fears, our hopes, our dreams, and and as Monica said, possibility. And and for me, when I get to write speculative fiction, and I also I also write literary fiction, so I'm I'm I don't think there's a better or worse there. But I do feel when I write speculative fiction that I can bring some things that maybe I'm not clear on yet to the page and then work through them as I'm writing. So when I think about, you know, even the story that I wrote for Decoded Pride Issue 2, when I think about Anomalous, I've been feeling like really weird about the way the world reads me as a trans person and how everyone feels very convinced they know what my gender identity is. And I'm like, well, if you do, could you let me know? Because I don't. Ah! Like, all I know is I chose non-binary because it meant I didn't have to fucking think about it anymore. <laughs> and so it's hard when people misgender me, when people, you know, say like, oh, you're this, you're that, you're the other thing. And, you know, it's something that traditionally would be feminine or even traditionally masculine. Like the other day, someone called me Mr. And I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. Less weird because it was like kind of like titillating in a way like, tee I've pulled off an amazing escape act. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's... What, what speculative allows me to do is, is, and, and what anomalous allows me to do is, is take all those, that pain, all that, that frustration, all that fear, all those questions and, you know, give some of them to different characters. Like, I love doing that being like, here's some of my bad, my worst attributes. Here's some of my deepest fears for you to play with. And then like, you know, get to play like dolls with them, which is like very fun and <laughs> sophisticated creation work here. But I, I think that. That's what I saw in these stories. And I was so moved by all of the stories we have this year, stories and comics. You know, they're just really, truly hilarious and thoughtful and heartbreaking and spooky. Like, there's some really scary ones. And like, including both of yours, both of yours is like, you both wrote some really fucking cool horror stories and they scared the pants off of me. Like, I really, really loved them. And I don't know, would, would either of you want to talk about how horror particularly plays into this this conversation? The horror. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as you volunteering. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you talk about it while you're wearing your Freddy or no, your Jason mask and like painting, and painting your nails, nails blood red? <laughs> don't call me out. You know, this is a lifestyle. Okay. Yes. Anyway. So yeah, like horror, like, wow. What can I say about horror? I love horror so much because it just, you know, sometimes you have to take a walk on the dark side in order to appreciate the light. And I, I feel like that, that, that runs deep for me sometimes, especially when it comes to those difficult situations that I've encountered in life, specifically those that were uh, traumatic or uh, remind me of like certain traumatic points. When I'm creating a story, like within that framework, it's kind of like a therapeutic release because I have the power to have the protagonist be the victor within that story um, just because like you know black women are often criminalized and vilified for anything that we do so it's just a really good place and also I feel like horror 
has limited rules within it. So you can go either way, which is why we have like so many awful like horror films, because some people like take that way too seriously and just try to offend people on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. But I feel like horror can be used to uplift or even like it can bring some of the issues that I've dealt with to the forefront to the point to where I can actually heal from those things because I'm placing this person this imaginary person that I created into a situation where they actually had the tools to overcome whatever obstacle came in their way so yeah it's like it's just like yeah also just like gore and stuff is cool I don't know <laughs> but you know a spooky a spooky like story that also is felt on like a personal level is just like oh it's just the best feeling in the world I feel I think that a lot of queer villains in movies and in stories are in horror right like I think that mm. horror has mm -hmm. always been a place where we see a ton of the coding that I was just talking about and that is something that maybe I internalize a little bit. Also, sometimes I'm just kind of like uh, inclined towards bleak <laughs> subject matter. I also think if I told the stories that I tell and there wasn't a, like a monster or like something happening, it would just be a really sad story, right? Like there wouldn't really be any. I don't know. I would find a way around it, I'm sure. But see, I don't I don't really write literary fiction. I do just want to write horror because to me, it gives me these guidelines to be this has to be scary at some point you know you're like building towards something otherwise if you take like the scary element out of my stories I feel like they're just kind of heartbreaking because it's it's always a couple that's breaking up or like somebody who's getting away from somebody else or somebody who can't trust their partner or somebody even just who's by themselves having a really hard time whenever you take away the the horror part out of that then <laughs> it's just those things but then like also that's what's great about horror is you can tell stories about those things and then be like oh but ghosts <laughs> and so it becomes a horror story because you just give people those like little moments right which i think is uh what's nice about most most genres but i was gonna ask what do you think because i think yours is kind of more sci-fi right so what would do you think that that applies that question could apply to sci-fi too for you yeah, totally. I think that for me, science fiction, the science fiction I love is all about bodies. I love androids. Like the reason I love Star Trek is data. The reason I love Star Trek is seven of nine, you know, like I love anything that's just about how fucking weird it is that we decide who is and isn't human and how that maps so clearly onto so many identities, being queer, being trans, being black, being indigenous, so many. And you'll see a lot of stories grappling with this um, in, in this issue. But for me, I think it allows me to play with body stuff in a in a it's sort of like a side door into talking about wh what is a body, like what makes a body trans, what what makes us what makes us real what makes us legible to other people and all of that is is you know about how a society organizes itself it's about how you know aliens or humans define what's alien what's human and i think those are all really slippery concepts that in sci-fi depending on what your entry point is you might assume is very clear like oh aliens are this and oh this is this and this is that but it's like why why is that an alien? Why is that a human? What makes them a person? Why do they have rights? Why don't they have rights? Should they have rights? What does it mean? And I 
really love those ideas. And I particularly, I think there's a way we can talk about transness, queerness, humanity, when we talk about a robot that is, is different than how when we talk about two people having a conversation. That difference, the, the gap between those things is where I see all the opportunity and where I like to push and pull on it. Like, okay, well, why is the robot different than the human? Well, what if I, what if the robot talks like a human? What if the robot has just as many goals as a human does? What if the robot, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are not, there's only like one robot in my story. I'm making it sound like it's a story about robots, but <laughs> you know what? If you like robots, I think you'll like the one that's in it. And yeah, so I think that's, that's for me what science fiction does. I also write fantasy. And then again, I like to flirt with horror. I'm not like a straight up horror writer as you all, but uh, horror comedy is like my jam. I love juxtaposing the macabre and the and the gory and the grim with like like slapstick almost and then also like i don't know like how do you survive anything for me it's always been my sense of humor so i just assume that like that's what all my characters like that's how they survive life is like they're gonna crack a joke that maybe doesn't have the best timing or maybe it does who knows but i i really like the way that those those genres can also be intermixed. I love anything that's like sci-fi and horror, fantasy and sci-fi. We've got a couple, a bunch of different stories that blend those boundaries. And for me, that's just like, yes, delicious. Exactly what I'm looking for. Delicious. Delicious. <laughs> so, Monica, the, the beacon of influencership, it's about you know, these friends who are, you know, close, but they have some animosity. They have an attraction, but they also were friends. And and there's a sense of, you know, for the, the antagonist, we have no, you know, what's real. And it seems to me this is a way to interrogate or ask questions about like social media and, and how we present ourselves in the world and how we are in the world. And I'm curious, is A, am I right? Does that sound right to you? That is correct. <laughs> okay, great. And then B, I'm like, why why is that the theme that that came to you for this story? Why were you grappling with this idea? Um, so I think um when the pandemic hit and everybody was kind of forced to make social media their like outlet to talk about certain things me being the messy bitch that I am I just like notice all the like public like friend breakups and relationships that were breaking up uh on online and that's actually where I got the idea for the story <laughs> but oh my god yeah, you're just like me you love other people's drama don't you I don't have any drama in my life but I get drama from other people's drama <laughs> beautiful <laughs> So Which is funny. why I love the Real Housewives franchise. Um, so, yeah. So this particular story, I just wanted to, like, frame something that was a bit more relatable, right? Because, as we know, you know, the queer community is pretty small. And especially if you're, like, a millennial, queer, or trans person in cities, like, we have, like, our own cliques and whatnot, blah, 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 blah. It happens. It's just, like, that whole, you know team whatever but it, it's kind of coming from like an insincere place too because in the age of techno technology and social media a lot of people like to front that their lives are really perfect you know what I mean there's only like this certain image that people want to convey and then you know 
a lot of people will start friendships, quote, friendships based on this idea that if they are in proximity to this person that is benefiting from social capital, they will also have that social capital and feel like the same amount of importance as the person that gets the attention online, right? So it's kind of like making fun of influencer stuff because that's the whole thing, especially like with Instagram, shadow banning people and like turning it into like a business platform. People are treating friendships and relationships based on this type of capital. And it's kind of like a monetary exchange. And there's something that's really dark and depraved about that. So I was like, this seems like it would be a good fit to work with the cask of Amontillado because that's one of my favorite Edgar Allan Poe stories, just because it's one of his most petty stories. Like he literally like just locks somebody in the basement because he couldn't deal with the guy talking shit anymore. And I'm just like, wow. <laughs> That is very extreme. Uh, <laughs> in this day and age, you probably would just block them. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. So, yeah. So that that's pretty much where where the influence came from. Uh, not a pun intended because it's called the beacon of influencership. But, yeah. So I think that it's just really important to look at like, our own personal relationships and, like, try to decipher who are really in our who's really in your corner versus who is just like hanging out with you because they think that it's a cool thing to do and that you'll get a picture with them on Instagram and all this other you know crap so yeah I love that I think that's that comes through so loud and clear for me H how do you think the cast of Montiato comes into the 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 work I mean obviously the locking in a basement is a recurring theme but how else did it influence the beginning of influencership well Edgar Allan Poe is known for like his gothic grisly depictions like within his story like he started that you know I felt that because there is like this veneer of everything is fine and everything's glossy and popular and cool that there are actual feelings and emotions from the protagonists that are just seething underneath, right? And I felt like Edgar Allan Poe did that really well because even in the cask of Amontillado, the tension and the buildup, we have no idea what the person's going to do, but to know that it was because of this one trivial incident that this person had this resentment build up in them. It's just like talking about the darker elements of the human psyche and the human ego. I thought that that story in particular had the same aura as to what I was trying to convey within the story. Do you think that there's a running theme in our stories? Oh, that's a good question. The other interviews that I had had uh, themes that kind of popped out as we were talking. And I was like, maybe like memory, because I feel like even your story, Monica, does deal with fleeting, I guess, like the fleeting nature of memory and how like mm -hmm. that works in social media. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Maybe I could be stretching. I Yeah, I, I wouldn't have pulled that out myself but i'm like that might be it sarah there might be a theme here of memory i you know we typically say like the only theme is that it's all by queer and trans people and everything's queer and trans in some you know valence of the term but i yeah i'm like memory plays a big role in the stories that i'm thinking of right so do you think monica how would you say that that would apply to your story like what do you feel that memory means i guess in because now it's like everything is just 
it passes so quickly. Like people are upset about one thing, then they move to the next thing. And uh, there's just always something happening now. And I think that obviously social media gets us like way more in touch with how there's always something happening. Is that something that you think about? Or did it have anything any impact in your story? Yes, because there was one situation where you know, the one protagonist is very like hesitant to enact against that person because it's 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 kind of like that forgiving somebody for their sins because there's just kind of like I'm close to them, but also have a crush on them, whatever else, and just having like a short term memory of just how awful this person actually is. And it's because of this person's like veneer of being glossy and shiny and whatever else, like even when she was caught, like, you know, biting somebody's style or whatever, like people got mad at her, but then it like quickly fled away. And like, it kind of just like she still retained her social capital in the in the form of memory, like we could talk about like cancel culture and like what the fuck that actually means because as we all know people that are in positions of power or who have social capital really don't get canceled they just Mm -hmm. like people will berate them for maybe like a week or so and then people will just forget about it and that person like goes on with their merry way so yeah I guess I guess in that in that sense I can see where memory like makes a tie because like some people just also have selective memory based on their own desires for that person (laughs) So, or that mm-hmm. desire to live within like that lifestyle or the desire to have like that same social capital or or something of that nature. So people tend to be a bit more selective with who they choose to remember, like whose transgressions they remember. And what do you think about, obviously, memory plays a really strong role in your story, Essie. <laughs> but yeah, does that ring true for you? Yeah, I think that memory is the way that the characters make meaning. And I won't be so bold as to say that's the way all people make meaning, but I'll wonder. I'll wonder about it for a while tonight. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that the memories that Marku, my protagonist, has are what what helps Marku figure out what's happening and and who they really are. And I think with Captain Amaria, the antagonist, I think Captain Amaria really, you know, figures out who who she is sort of in the um in in the events that take place before the story starts but it still deeply influences how she shows up and then there's of course like the memory of the robot and like you know the sort of you know uh, fact checking that the the robot is constantly doing around captain amaria's logs and so yeah i think that memory you know you've totally blown my mind sarah i wouldn't have pulled that thread out but i think that memory is is a big piece of how yeah again how they make meaning how they connect with each other but then also you know as the story progresses memory is the thing that that makes it hard for them to move on and and for the characters to to decide what's next so good question sarah a plus thank you (laughs) so what about for you sarah how do you think memory plays into slipping but not falling well i can't tell you without spoiling it right but (laughs) in the end it's definitely a story that's just about I guess the changeability of memory and how we remember things not how they happened and how as time goes on stories become just that right like you experience them and parts of them are true and then there's the parts that are so deeply felt 
And it's kind of more how it made you feel that ends up mattering in the end, right? Because that's what matters. Like we, we forget everything, you know, we forget so, so much. And so I think that that was where it ends, but where it begins is that it's a character who kind of doesn't have a memory, right? Like she's going from place, from one place to the next place. So she's existing in this place kind of, you know, where all of her, all of her company is memory, but also we don't really hear about her memories very much. So I think taking a character that is kind of just living in the moment and, you know, we never really find out what, what exactly she's trying to get away from. Like we know that she's leaving a bad relationship, but we don't have any specifics on it because even whenever she remembers her wife, she just remembers her as somebody who was all things, right? Like she remembers you know, some extremely kind moments and some extremely terrible moments and, you know, has kind of tension and apprehension, but we don't know how much of that is only her. We don't know like the other person, what they went through. We don't know what she went through. You know, there's not really, um, there's not really an explanation for it. And I think that that's for the best because it doesn't really matter to the story. But then once again, I think that that was, it was important for me to talk about somebody with their memory removed, I guess, um, except for a couple of key details. And then to be like, yeah, because memory changes. And in 10 years, you know, even if you were like married to somebody in 10 years, you would forget so much about them, you know? And so I think all of that is, it can be sad, but it can also be interesting and powerful, you know? Yeah, I, I you know, when I think about your story, one of the big themes for me is about identity. What does it mean to be someone? And what does it mean to look like someone? And and then what is, like, what makes us us? And I'm curious, do you agree if that's a theme? And if you do, where did that theme come from? And is it something you grapple with in general, or it just felt right for the story? Yeah, I mean, I think the last story that I wrote for Decoded was, you know, the hollow bones, which was all about a transformation, something that you, whenever you know somebody for so long, and then you don't know them anymore, they start to change, they become someone else, it can be a very natural process for them, you know, and it's probably, you know, I mean, either way, you can't stop change. So what's the point, right? It's probably good for them, but it can be jarring for you. And so I think that it is something that does come up a lot and how identity really does change over time. I think that that's something that's really important to me because I remember as a teenager and as like somebody in my 20s, I would always be like, I'm going to be this way always. And then it's just like, no, you're not. You didn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like you're a completely different person now. And I do feel different from my younger self. I can see like where my origins are that, but like also I just you know, you go through life and life changes you and pain changes you. And that's just how it is. And so I think that there's something interesting about that. But also, I think that it's almost most interesting that it's such a fluid thing and that it in the end, like certain things just don't really matter. It's just like, it's more that you were hurt rather than like who hurt you and things like that. You know, it's like things kind of change meaning over time, like the things that have happened to us change meaning over time and the identities that we wear change over time. All of that stuff, I think, was important because the main character is going through such a change. 
What would you say was your initial process when you first embarked on your stories idea? Mm, this one was rough, though, because it was, I need to write something. I want to make sure that it's something that's unique. And I want to make sure that it's something that reflects how I'm feeling right now specifically. And uh, yeah, it was basically just that. And so I had this image in my head of the <laughs> monster of the story who is this beautiful woman with like a wide brim hat and like all of that. And just walking around a hotel was the mental image that I had to make a story out of. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, this lady who could be like really cool looking. And then I was just like, cool. Yeah, mine's going to be about a lady in a hat. Cool. And then it was like, dot, dot, dot. Like, what <laughs> What else happens? <laughs> and then I was just like, you know what? I actually do want to tell the story, too, on top of that. That's just like somebody who we don't hear about the abuser. It's like you're somebody who's getting away from an, a sh bad, toxic relationship, but we don't hear about the other person. We don't have to deal with them really at all. I liked that about it. I liked it flipping perspectives a couple of times through the story. I thought that that would be an important thing. I wanted to write something that was longer because, uh, yeah, I just wanted to fill it out more. And once I started writing the character of Jessica, I was like, I like Jessica. So I could, I could stick with her for, you know, 6,000 words or however much it is. But yeah, it kind of all just built on it like that. But my initial inspiration was 100% just like cool looking lady in a parking lot, has a badass car, and maybe is like the devil <laughs> a little bit. But also I like her, you know, like that was a big thing too. She's very likable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For like, you're like, wow, you're so good at your job. Like, wow. Which, you know, <laughs> is always a big turn on. Yeah. Um, For me, like I, I always... When I'm writing a story, I usually have two things in mind. One scene that is very clear in my mind and one theme I know I want to do something with. So I knew I wanted to do something about not being sure about your connection to your body and not being sure about who you are. And I knew I wanted to, I had this scene of this very sexy black scientist who's a trans woman slamming into the protagonist and saying, have you shit? And I know that sounds ridiculous. When you read the story, it'll make sense. But <laughs> I, I knew that it was going to have that sort of crass, hard humor because I knew who my scientist was. Like I knew that she was, you know, hard hitting. She had shit to do, no pun intended. And she needed people to like, you know, she needed to know if someone was going to get their shit together or not in that moment. You know, she didn't have time to waste to like sit down and carefully explain the scenario. She needed to cut to the chase because she had, sh you know, again, shit to know. I connected those two themes and I think I was laying in bed and I was like, I have all these scenes clear in my mind, but there's something missing. Like there's something that has to happen between the scenes. And that's when I realized we were going to have... Uh, Captain Amaria's auto audio log also recorded or, you know, you, you don't it's not actually record it. You don't get to hear it, but it's, you know, you get the, the transcript from it. And that felt to me really important because again, Captain Amaria is a black woman. Like that is not my place to write from that point of view, but I felt that I could 
share her logs. So to me, that was that was the piece there. And and also, I knew that that was going to be how I brought in the robot (laughs) that I really, really fucking wanted to bring in. So that that's how it all came together for me. And then it was like, really, in the second in the second draft, I understood what I was writing. And then um, one of my my buddies, who is also a writer, Alex Wright from the good, the bad, the basic pod, went and, you know, marked it up for me and, and gave me lots of good feedback and was like, you know, your characters like this character doesn't quite feel right here. And that helped me really figure out the final pieces that were missing. And I was very surprised, you know, when it clicked, it suddenly wasn't just a story about what does it mean to be disconnected to your body? It also became a story about what does it mean to be so connected to your body that no one can fool you? And that felt like really revelatory because I had such a deficit mindset about how I was coming to it. And suddenly these two characters showed up in my in my head and I thought they were one thing. And then at the end of the story, they were like, mm-mm. Mm-mm, you didn't get us right yet and then they just like did this amazing thing and i was like crying and like i'm so proud of them you know so i think that's sort of my weird partial you know partially actually doing some craft things partially magical soup i don't dare dissect otherwise i may not be able to do it again <laughs> How did you come about writing the story? Me being a messy bitch online and reading everybody's uh <laughs> Twitter threads of beef going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Couple of crushes broke up with their boyfriends, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Do you do you we like ride read- at midnight? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> do you read people's Venmo interactions to like piece together I do, stories? I, I knew it. I do like some real Harriet the Spy shit, which was my favorite movie growing up. By the way. Uh, <laughs> But just like, I'm nosy, okay? Let me be nosy. But yeah, so that's pretty much where the story came in. And like, I literally just thought about the idea of paintings that move, which have always terrified me. And no matter if the movie's like awful, whatever, just the concept of paintings coming alive, especially like the old creepy like white man ones, you know what I mean? Like the colonial like shit, like, oh my God, the shit like freaks me the fuck out. So I definitely had that idea because like USC, like I I get like the idea, like it plays like a, like a movie in my head, right? Mm. I'm a filmmaker, so, but yeah, it plays out like a movie in my head and then I just have to figure out how to put that into the story. And a lot of my like, background is like in writing screenplays you know so like for this to come about as it did is like a major feat for me and I'm like super proud of this story actually because I was stressing out about it yeah so once I got that idea of the painting that moved like all I could think about was just like you know uh being in my 20s and like going to somebody somebody's house like a house party or whatever and just like the hierarchies that existed there like in the queer scene and whatever else and it just all manifested into this perfect bubble I also just had a picture I have a like a postcard of Edgar Allan Poe that I I got from his house in Philly. Um, I used to go to his house all the time because one, it's free. It's a national park. And two, it's just cool. You can actually like lounge in like one of the areas and like go through all the Edgar Allan Poe materials that have been created throughout 
history. And I was just like, wow, this would actually be like a really good set for, you know, to have like some of his influence into it. So I just rolled with it because I was like, Cask of Amontillado is already like petty and messy and funny. I'm pretty sure I can easily make this into my own vision. Is there a genre that you haven't ever written in that you would like to write in? I would love to try my hands at science fiction, but I'm not that smart. <laughs> just trust that me, joke. that's not a requirement. That was a joke. <laughs> We're all like very quiet, like shaking our heads, like hmm. Uh, <laughs> no, I would love to do like sci-fi horror mashup. Sci-fi horror is like the best film genre in my opinion, because, like, the best of both worlds. But, yeah, I would love to get my hand at that. Um, long form, though. Do it. Do it. Maybe. Yay, I'll read it immediately. I would like... To, it's not really a genre, but I would really like to write a hive mind story. And I've been trying to kick around different ways of doing that. But I really, I really like hive mind stories. So kind of a, a science fiction fantasy. It's certainly weird. It's weird. And I like that. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? No, no, I don't. <laughs> horror only. <laughs> I only like horror. I wrote a, a, I guess, a fantasy story pretty recently, and I was kind of resenting it. Um, and then I was like, I think this is good, but also, I just don't know anything about that market, so I just ended up with like one fantasy story <laughs> that like is hanging out, and I'm like, I don't even know what to do with you, but I guess I like you, so I'm gonna keep you around. But um. Yeah, I don't know. I would prefer not to, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I think it's really cool that we all have different ways of approaching our fiction. Um, thank you both so much. I mean, this has just been an absolute delight to talk about our our creative processes. We talk all the time, but we don't always dig in this way on our our fiction. So this was very beautiful. So what is coming up for y'all or what else are you working on? Sapphire Bay. What does that Can mean? We, all talk we should all talk about that, right? Like, yeah, go for um, it. So the next thing that we're going to be doing is a big old narrative fiction podcast, horror, definitely. And all three of us are writing for it, as is somebody who you just very recently referenced, Alex. Woohoo! It's yeah. scary. It's it's scary, it's fun, it's beautiful, it's it's Sarah's mega, you know, mind galaxy mind project. <laughs> so it's you know, we're we're at this haunted hotel called the Sapphire Bay Hotel and and you know, we're dipping in and out of stories that are all kinds of different points in time and it's it's really something special. I'm loving working on it. I also know, you know, people are like, oh wait, are so is it going to be you reading a story to us? And I was like, no, no, no. It's like a radio play. Like there's actors. There's going to be like people interacting. And they were like, oh my God. I was like, yeah, it's like an old time horror radio show. And I think that is exactly what the world needs right now. So I'm just absolutely delighted to be on the project, getting to write episodes and knowing that they're going to fit into this big puzzle together is just it it's honestly it's what's been getting me through the pandemic it's just mm -hmm. working on this project mm -hmm. 
oh, and I guess my first novel, right? Like that's going to come yes. out sometime this year, but we can't, I mean, that's like, you know, we'll talk about that later, but that's it for me. And Monica, you have some very exciting big news. Oh, yeah. So I am now the editor-in-chief for Cinespeak in Philadelphia, and I'm completely gobsmacked about it. I love that word, gobsmacked. <laughs> um, so I will be working with them and helping to curate uh, pieces about social justice and cinema and getting to geek out and be a snobby film elitist. Just kidding. I don't think I'm one of those. Am I a film snob? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, I don't like how you said no. <laughs> we'll talk later. I, you're per I'll say you're particular about your films. I don't think that you're a film snob, though, because yeah, I've seen you. You give things there. a you give things a chance. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and then I'm still in the process of completing my fourth film, Bitten a Tragedy, which is slowly making its way to the world. You know, film is a very time-consuming thing, uh, which a lot of people who don't make movies don't understand, mm -hmm. is that it takes a lot of elements to get things correct. So working on that. And I'm super excited about it. And then also working with y'all on, uh, on writing Sapphire Bay, which is a, a good challenge for me. Um, but I'm, I'm like putting 5,000% into it because I'm super stoked for all of that to happen. And yeah, plotting and scheming to do my next movie when the pandemic isn't here. Because I think that I think one of the reasons why I've been going like absolutely bonkers is because I haven't been able to film anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just like having a bunch of people around me and we're just going to some place and being like, let's make a thing. And I, I miss those social interactions like so much. So I think just like properly planning. So then once, you know, everything's cool, we can hit the ground running and just get that you know, creative juices flowing. So yes. cannot wait for the creative juices to be flowing mm -hmm. and in person. Mm -hmm. Like I could see my friends with my own eyes. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> I can't wait. Just it's going like to be magic. amazing. I just keep looking forward to that day. That's what's keeping me going. Good. I'm glad to hear it. For me, I have, obviously, like we said, Sapphire Bay. I'm so excited about that. Sarah and I also have our ongoing comics podcast called Bitches oh. on Comics. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we just are like constantly working. <laughs> so go check out Bitches on Comics. We're at Bitches on Comics on Twitter and Instagram. We're also on, if you listen to podcasts, we're on the platform you listen to. And if we're not, email me because I will fix it. Because, uh, yeah, we, we are now past 90 episodes which is wild i know and we have our big pride month extravaganza coming up in which we're gonna publish at least nine interviews with creators critics fans of comics and it is it's pretty special. I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. Personally, I also am querying a novel right now. I call it a coming of queer novel. It's called How to Have a Nervous Breakdown. And it's about a very messy bisexual character that I love with my 
wholesale. So if you're an agent, hit me up. I am also, I have a short story out on submission. It's called The Porter. It's my epic fantasy prequel about a thruple and their superpowers. And uh, I love that story very much. So I'm, I'm pumped. I'm going to find a home for it. I know. And then I've got a science fiction novel that I am finishing up and will hopefully also have out querying soon. And, you know, then I'm also an editor here and I'm a blah, 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 and I'm a blah, 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 whatever. I have no free time, but I do get to make a lot yeah. of art. So I'm very happy. Yay. It's just creating and, and it's beautiful. Being, existing. Living dreams. <laughs> beautiful. Oh, so and Margot Robbie is trying to bring Poison Ivy to the DC universe. So we also all have that going on. Yeah. That's happening. Yeah. You know, I'm just, it's just, what a time, you know? What, what a, a time, time we're living alive. in. Yeah. It's what crazy. a time to be alive. Awesome. And yeah, like, please go out and check out Decoded Pride issue two. This is a completely independent queer project. That means we pay all of our creators, but we pay them based on you subscribing. So help us out. Help us support independent queer art and help us support over half of our authors are gender variant. A large portion of our authors are black, indigenous, and people of color. We have uh, writers who are, are creators who are autistic. We have creators who are asexual, bisexual, trans, queer, pan, lesbian, gay, non-binary, all of it, all of the, t all of them. It's amazing. It's so beautiful to look at the intake form. I really feel like it's a beautiful rainbow. Come join us. We're at decodedpride.com. Issue two is $14.99. That is less than 50 cents a story, which is pretty epic. We release one story a day during Pride Month. So starting June 1st, our first story will come out and then we'll go from there. Stories, comics, science fiction, fantasy, horror, folklore, what can only be described as weird and eerie. Love that shit. And it's going to be something truly, truly special. We have three very covers that are going to be with the piece. So that's going to be neat to, to showcase this really beautiful art. And just so you know, Decoded Pride is a project of Queerspec. Queerspec.com is a publishing house that publishes queer and trans fiction in the form of podcasts, short fiction, and uh, we're scheming. We've got something new coming because we always have something new coming. So go check out queerspec.com. Go subscribe to decodedpride.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at queerspec at Twitter and at queer underscore spec on Instagram. Monica is the amazing human who runs our social media. So go give her some follows. She's worked her ass off on this. So help us out. Make sure you tune in to the rest of our episodes. We have 17 of the creators, so over half of the creators in Decoded Pride appear in one of the episodes. We have wonderful conversations with both comic creators and fiction writers, and it is, it's really something special. I feel blessed to be here. I, you know, hesitate to use that word, but you know what? I'm feeling it today. So... Go check us out, decodedpride.com. Tune in to the next episode. There'll be six total. It's not that many. You've got the time. I know you do. It's still a pandemic. We love you. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.